With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Misty Winston Show right here on today's News Talk. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I hope you had a great weekend. Happy Monday to everybody. We have a really awesome week coming up. So uh, just really quickly, let's run through what we have coming up. Uh, So today... Um, we have Kyle Anselm back to the show. We know him. We love him. Tons of stuff to talk about. He's been very busy. Um, he writes a lot of articles. It's hard to go through them all. Um, uh, Benjamin Rubenstein will be back tomorrow. I'm very excited to have him back on the show. Uh, Professor David Miller will be on Wednesday. I have some news um, about him uh, we'll talk about just briefly. Obviously, he's going to be here on Wednesday, so no need to dive too deep into that. But it is fantastic news. Uh, Thursday, we have musician David Rovix, musician activist. He's fantastic. Um, he does a lot of stuff with the Assange campaign, so I'm very excited to have him. And then on Friday, Friday, we have uh, Matthew Ho and Kelly Lane, who have been hosting the candidates for Assange. Uh, They just started, I think they've done maybe two or three different episodes where they're um, highlighting candidates uh, across the country for various different um, uh, seats um, at various different levels of government, uh, those who are openly supportive of Julian Assange. So I'm very excited to have them as well. Um, Also, just a really quick uh, plea, I guess. So uh, last week I talked about Randy Credico and his attempt to raise money to get a billboard truck on the streets of New York City. Um, He has raised enough to get one on the streets. And then him and I had a phone conversation over the weekend and we thought, how cool would it be if we could get two? Um, So I started to go fund me. Uh, the link for that is in the Substack for today. It'll be in the Substack all week long. It's a very, very, very last minute idea. We have just a few days uh, to raise the money to get that on the streets. Um, when I told, when I talked to Randy on the phone, I was like, "Yeah, we can totally do this." I did not know if we could totally do this, but we have already raised over fifteen hundred dollars, which is incredible. Um, so, uh, if you are so inclined, please go and donate. If you cannot donate, no worries. Just share the link. That is tremendously helpful because um, Assange posts are are very significantly shadow banned. So um, uh, the GoFundMe link is in the Substack write-up for today. Uh, It's also the pinned tweet on my Twitter. uh, And if you can help out just getting the word out about that um, and and pushing that as hard as we can, we need as much help as we can get. Um, And uh, again, we've already raised $1,500. I cannot believe, well, I guess I can believe. Usually when I uh, have fundraisers for stuff like that, people really come through. And so I'm not surprised, but it's uh, how quickly we've been able to do it. I think I just published the GoFundMe on Sunday, maybe Saturday. I don't remember which day I talked to Randy, Um, but we had a phone conversation um, and we really thought it would be nice to be able to have two. uh, I think they're going to run for eight days running up uh, to the February court date. So the eight days prior to February 20th and 21st, uh, they will be all over the streets of New York City. So uh, both in like the major touristy areas. um, And then I think we want to try to get one uh, kind of out in some of the, um, you know, little side boroughs, I guess that's what you call them. Um, So if you can help out with that, please do. Uh, Hopefully we can get two trucks out there. I think we can do it. I think we can pull it off. We only have a few days to do it. But I think we can pull it off. We shall see. So um, also, I mentioned that I had some news about David Miller. Obviously, I don't want to dive too deep into this, given the fact that he's going to be here on Wednesday and we can talk about this with him in person. Um, but he today, it was announced that he has won, which if you don't know what I'm talking about, he was fired from Bristol University in October of 2021 um, for his anti-Zionist views. 
And he took Bristol University to court and he won, which is amazing. A little unexpected. I'm not going to lie. Um, I did not have a tremendous amount of hope for this court case, but he won. This is massive for um, both pro-Palestine protesters in the UK uh, and globally, really. I think this sets a precedent, but also just for free speech in general. Um, so he has tweeted out, Victory at the Employment Tribunal. The Employment Tribunal has released its judgment in my landmark legal case against Bristol University, concluding that I was wrongfully dismissed in October of 2021 and discriminated against because of my anti-Zionist beliefs. This is not just a victory for me, but also a victory for pro-Palestine campaigners across Britain. Uh, you can go and check out this statement and everything else that he's tweeted about um, uh, regarding the situation. He's at uh, on Twitter at tracking underscore power. Um, and he has also posted a link to his fundraiser for his legal fees. Um, I'm sure, as you can imagine, it is not cheap to uh, take on a case like this. And I'm so glad that he did. I think that this, again, sets a really amazing precedent moving forward for, in particular in the UK, I think, obviously, but I think just generally speaking across the globe, this really does send a message that it is, um, it's not, uh, you can, it, free speech is free speech, and that includes speech against Zionism. So um, I'm really excited that he won. I'm really excited to talk to him on Wednesday. Definitely tune in for that. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into all of the details um, when he is here on Wednesday. So, okay, don't forget, you can follow me over on the tweeters at Sarcasm Startup. Check out the Substack, mistywinston.substack.com. There's a write-up for the guests of the day every day, uh, so you can find, follow, and support their work as well. And again, fundraiser link is in the Substack write-up for today as well. Um, and if you would like, you can shoot me an email at mistywinston at tntradio.live guest idea show idea um if you have a rant if you have um a question whatever it is just hit me up and uh i will try to get back to you as soon as i possibly can and if you have a, a suggestion for a possible guest just in general that you would like to hear on tnt radio or perhaps you have a topic uh, that you would like to hear us discussing. We want to hear from you. Just complete the suggestion form on the TNT website, which is tntradio.live, and you can help us make a difference right here on today's News Talk. Keeping the commitment. I love you guys. Unbelievable. 24-7. Listen to you every day, have for years. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, a drone attack on a U.S. military installation in eastern Syria has reportedly killed at least six members of the U.S.-backed Kurdish-led SDF as regional tensions continue to escalate. Oh, this is exhausting. All right, here with the story joining me now is TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. All right, who could have possibly seen this coming, right? Well, I'm sorry, Misty. What do you want me to do? I know it's exhausting, but it is what it is. Uh, yeah. Dro drones, drone strikes, this is the news of the day. Um, I guess it could be worse. We could be getting the daily numbers during the pandemic, yeah, so... Anyway, uh, yeah, so we've got another drone strike uh, hitting another uh, military base that most Americans were not even aware of. This one in Syria. This was on Sunday, uh, and it has apparently reportedly killed at least six allied Kurdish soldiers. I believe we actually trained them. Um, there were also U.S. troops stationed at this base, but according to Fox News Digital, Luckily, there were no American casualties in this attack. Uh, the strike hit a training ground at Al-Amar in Syria's Deir al-Zuar province, which I probably mispronounced. Uh, the Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces, the SDF, said that the drone strike, I mean drone attack, struck a part of the base where commando units were training. Uh, Britain-based opposition war monitor Syrian Observatory for Human Rights said there were at least seven Kurdish fighters killed in the attack and at least 18 others 
injured. Some of those injured are unfortunately reported to be in critical condition. The report mentioned that this is the first major attack in Syria or Iraq since uh, we did it first, the, uh, since the U.S. launched attacks against Iran-backed militias. Uh, militias have been carrying out attacks in the area uh, since October 7th when the Hamas thing happened. Um, yeah, the SDF initially said that the attack was carried out by, quote, Syrian regime-backed mercenaries, end quote, but accused, quote, unquote, Iran-backed militias. Okay. Uh, the Islamic resistance, a generalized term that represents all Iran-backed Iraqi militias, that's quite a broad uh, statement to say. Anyways, they claimed responsibility for the attack on Sunday and later released a video of the attack. Uh, this is not the first time the group has launched an attack against U.S. forces. Late last month, the same group carried out a drone strike that killed three U.S. troops and wounded dozens more at a base in Jordan, allegedly. According to Military.com and plenty of other outlets, in response, the U.S. has carried out several attacks, including strikes in western Iraq, eastern Syria, and against Houthis in Yemen. Basically, we blame Iran, so we're striking everywhere except Iran. At least that's kind of a good thing, I guess. Uh, the Islamic resistance has called for U.S. troops to get the heck out of Dodge. They want them to vacate the region. Uh, Fox News Digital says uh, that the Houthi rebels vowed that there would be, quote unquote, escalation in the region after the U.S. strikes in Yemen. A spokesperson for the group said there would be a response to the attack, quote, no matter the sacrifices it costs us, end quote. Uh, Mohammed al-Bukhadi posted on X, quote, the U.S.-British coalition's bombing of a number of Yemeni provinces will not change our position, and we affirm that our military operations against Israel will continue until the crimes of genocide in Gaza are stopped and the siege on its residence is lifted, no matter the sacrifices it costs us. If the regional war breaks out, it equals the end of U.S. hegemony in the region, end quote. So I don't know, Missy, I'm kind of getting this story where pretty much everybody says that if we stop the genocide in Israel, all this other stuff will go away. But I don't know. What do you think? I mean, how dare they call for an end to genocide? That's just horrific. I mean, what jerks? Uh, this is insane. Uh, I think that everybody who... Um, was talking about this from October 7th, really in the days uh, immediately following that, everybody knew that this had the potential to blow up into a, a broader regional conflict. We've been talking about that for many, many weeks, months really on this show. Um, and here it is. This is exactly what, this is the inevitable conclusion of what's going on in Gaza. I think that there's no doubt about it. Um, Israel was not going to be able to just openly commit genocide and nobody was going to have anything to say about that. And I think that the, um, the buildup to this was a little slow. I think that um, uh, a lot of these uh, countries were trying to be um, cautious in their response to what was happening in Gaza for obvious reasons. I think that many of them are trying to avoid, uh, you know, World War III, which is essentially what this is leading us into. And I think that it has reached a point now where uh, they are unable to, um, you know, ignore this stuff anymore. And I think that there's no doubt. And I mean, as as you mentioned, Damascus, as you said here, or as one of these articles says uh, from the uh, Epic Times, Damascus, like its ally, Tehran, ally, Tehran views the presence of U.S. forces in Syria as an quote unquote, illegal occupation. 
Yes, <laughs> it is an illegal occupation. It always has been. We have never been invited into Syria. We are illegally occupying their country. We are stealing their resources and their oil. And we are backing Israel as they committed genocide in Gaza. And I think that there's, it's just mind blowing to me, honestly, that it took this long for um, uh, our shenanigans to blow up in our face. And there's no doubt about it, as you just said, um, if this continues this is going to end u.s hegemony in the region there's no doubt about it i think that there is um a, a broad coalition that is taking place right now with i mean we're seeing BRICS, and we're seeing uh the way that all of these countries are coming together against western hegemony against uh, western empire and it's this is you are living within the fall of empire in my opinion now i've been saying that for many years i think it is a very going to be a very long slow painful death um, but what I think is most terrifying to me anyway is that we've seen empires fail in the past, right? This is not new. We've seen this take place. However, I don't think we've ever seen an empire as large as the United States fail. And we've definitely never seen an empire fail that is as heavily armed as the United States is. And I think that when you have a wounded animal backed into a corner... Uh, they're going to make some really ridiculous and irrational decisions. And I think that that's what we're seeing. And it's not going to end well. Um, and that's what I think is most terrifying to me is to see the way that, um, you know, we're just going to blow everybody up. We think we're just going to blow everybody up and that will solve our problems. And I just don't think that that's going to work the way that we think it's going to work. But I don't know. Adam, what do you think? Well, yeah. My favorite part of all this is everybody keeps saying that it's not going to make a lick of difference if you keep like bombing these whatever you're doing in Syria and Iraq. The president said that of the United States of America. He's like, uh, yeah, the bombing's not having any effect. Are we going to keep doing it? Yep. And I'm like, <laughs> what? OK, uh, the, yeah. the people who are doing it are saying, hey, you can keep bombing us over here. It's not going to make a lick of difference. And they just keep doing it. Uh, the U.S. officials, they came out again over the weekend and said they're going to keep doing it. Uh, I think on Sunday, uh, the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, that's his name, he's refusing to, to rule out any idea of launching an actual airstrike on Iran, which, of course, would make a, a small handful of people in Washington extremely happy. Um, the Pentagon, of course, has admitted there's absolutely zero evidence that Iran was involved in the, uh, the drone attack in Jordan supposedly, allegedly in Jordan, uh, Tower 22, that's the one that killed three U.S. troops. Um, but they, they say that Iran's responsible uh, because it's the one who's arming these militias. So that's it's, it's like the same – none of this makes any logical sense whatsoever, Misty. So I, I'm just – I'm curious if they're just doing it – are they just laughing at everybody and they're just like, we're just full-on just killing people. We're psychopaths and we know it and we're having a good time. It's party time. I don't get it. Right. Right. And I think that what's so interesting about what you just said is, um, you know, they, they say that they don't have any evidence that Iran was directly responsible for these strikes, but we're going to um, uh, blame them because they are arming and funding the militias. Do we really want to play that game? <laughs> do we really want to do the, oh, well, you're arming and funding them, so it's your fault? Because I don't know if you all know how many uh, horrific people across the world that we are arming and funding. We have a real penchant for um, uh, supporting dictators in various awful countries that are doing lots of terrible things, not to mention our very open support of actual genocide that's happening right now in Gaza. So I'm not sure we want to be finger wagging at Iran for literally anything. Frankly, we don't have the moral superiority to uh, be doing that to anybody 
on planet Earth. Um, there's nobody worse than us. I mean, that's just reality. There's nobody that is causing more death, destruction, and chaos on planet Earth than the United States of America. That's just reality. Um, so, yeah, we need, I, I mean, as you said in this article, they want us to get out of Dodge. We need to get out of Dodge. We're not welcome there. We are not um, entitled to just go uh, and plop ourselves down and decide that we get to uh, occupy a country for whatever reason. That's just not okay. Um, and we've gotten away with it for so long. And I just think that this is the natural conclusion. Unfortunately, as I said, though, if this breaks out into a broader war, it's going to be bad news for a lot of people because, um, again, the United States of America is heavily armed and we are not afraid <laughs> to use those weapons um, as we have very plainly shown. So we shall see. We'll keep a close eye on this. We're going to dive into some of this stuff, too, with Kyle here coming up after the break. So, Adam, thanks for bringing us this story. Hang tight. We're going to be right back right after this on today's News Talk. TNT's Darren Denslow. Yeah, I'm talking about the illness. Actually, that has done has been doing the rhymes. Not have we only seen a, uh, a mass influx of people waving their COVID tests online. Look, I got a red line. It's like, oh, my God, people are testing. Or people, you know, trying to encourage others to wear their masks. Um, but there has been a talk of a dry cough. There have been doctors coming out saying we've seen loads of cases of that. Uh, have you been suffering from, you know, a bit of cough and flu or cold or COVID? Well, Darren, I, COVID. I, I just, I just did my eighth test, oh, and okay. um, I, I'm just going to keep doing it until I get lines and lines. Why? Well, because work's coming back up, isn't it? Digging deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk TNT. I'm Cal Fire Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez. And normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires. But given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year, we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood, as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov. We don't rock, rock. we talk. talk. Today's News Talk. TNT Radio. All right, my friends, we are here with our pal Kyle Anslone. You know him, you love him. He's here rather frequently. So he is the um, uh, news editor at Libertarian Institute, libertarianinstitute.org. Please go check them out, support their work. He's also the opinion editor at antiwar.com. Also another fantastic uh, outfit. Please go and support them, share their stuff, um, uh, subscribe, all that good stuff. He also co-hosts the show Conflicts of Interest, which you can find wherever you can find podcasts and then also on YouTube and I think Rockfin Rumble, all of those places. So uh, links, of course, are always, as always, are on the Substack for today's write-up. So uh, go check that out. Kyle, thanks for being here, my friend. Absolutely, Misty. Always happy to be back on your show. Yeah. So, okay. Holy cow. <laughs> You've been very busy. You have a ton of articles. 
Um, I don't even know uh, uh, where to start. So we're going to I want to I want to jump in with North Korea because you and I always talk about this. Uh, it's not really something that gets a ton of coverage. Um, and there's been a couple of new developments. So let's start with talking about um, uh, North Korea has been testing cruise missiles and blasts the U.S. and South Korea for joint war games. T tell us a little bit about this. Yeah. So the U.S., South Korea, and in one case, Japan, have conducted a series of five war games this year at times involving weapons platforms that could deliver a nuclear strike. And this has really upset the North Koreans. Uh, you know, late last year, they simulated the assassination of Kim Jong-un, which I think was a major provocation. And so in response, North Korea has uh, tested intercontinental ballistic missile and a couple new forms of uh, cruise missiles, including one that at least the North Koreans say is part of their strategic program and can be launched from a submarine. Uh, so that's probably going to be seen by the U.S., South Korea, and Japan as a little bit of a threat. Now, you know, one of the really interesting things, Misty, is we have reports from the New York Times, but also uh, an op-ed in 38 North, which is, uh, you know, one of the better publications when it comes to the North Korean issue. And in the New York Times, they talked to U.S. officials who said they're worried that him could try to conduct some kind of operation in South Korea that's short of provoking a full-blown war, but you, you know, will be some kind of confrontation with the South eliminated warfare situation. But you also have uh, you know people warning in 38 North that this is there's a potential conflict on the horizon. And I'm also very concerned that there's a potential conflict on the horizon here, Misty. I think if you look at how the Biden administration has operated, it's essentially been the most aggressive administration maybe in history. And, you know, their policy has been to really not negotiate with any country on any terms that are acceptable to that country, but claim they're negotiating. And then when that country doesn't 100% capitulate to what the Americans are demanding, they set all these ridiculous red lines and make all these ridiculous threats and push a country into acting. And then, you know, now we're involved in conflicts all over the world, Ukraine, the Middle East. And so, uh, you know, I think the Biden administration could very easily bumble into a war with North Korea. But there's a great article by John Pfeffer and a, a reason to be optimistic in um, the Quincy Institute, where he explains that if you look at the past, when North Korea has conducted all these missile launches and things like that, it's basically to draw political attention into the United States because, Misty, Americans don't care about North Korea. You know, they could be isolated from the rest of the world forever for all the Americans care, but North Korea conducts a bunch of missile tests. Well, then we tell our government to do something about it. Now, you know, the problem is we tell the Biden administration to do something. They could say, well, all right, we're going to war. Or the, the better option, of course, is that this forces them to recognize North Korea's an issue and engage in some kind of diplomacy to really reduce tensions and uh, normalize the relationship some or at least end the Korean War officially. Yeah. Yes. And I'm really that's why I'm glad that we talk about this, because I feel like um, the North Korea situation really is it's very much um, off the radar, I think, for most people. And obviously, I get that there's a lot. There's a lot. Right. There's a lot to keep up with. There's still the situation in Ukraine. Uh, obviously, as we Adam and I just talked about, there is this whole Middle East thing that is, I mean, uh, very quickly 
boiling over. I think that we're starting to see that really kind of get out of control. So, but I think that this is a, a situation that most people aren't paying attention to. And also in this article that you have written, um, you mentioned that uh, President Putin is going to be visiting North Korea in the near term. And I think that we're starting to see a lot of these countries band together. Um, and they recognize that there's probably going to be uh, uh, these attempts, uh, as uh, Sergey Lavrov said, that the U.S., Japan, and South Korea are preparing for war with North Korea. We're not even really hiding it, right? I mean, we're doing these war games. We're talking about it pretty openly. We uh, pretended that we were going to uh, assassinate their president and did that whole thing. So, yeah, it's not like we're really being all that um, uh, shy about our intentions. So it's just it's very it's kind of insane to watch all of this play out at the same time, to watch us be in a conflict with Russia and Ukraine, to watch the Middle East be on fire again uh, to watch us. Uh, I mean, we've got Taiwan on the back burner. We're in fights with Venezuela. And now we've got the, well, not now, but uh, the situation with North Korea continues. And this is after, I mean, not to give Trump a whole lot of credit, but he did uh, do some, um, he made some efforts towards diplomacy with North Korea. And now that has all been wiped away, I would say. Wouldn't you say, Kyle? I think all of those efforts are, that is, that's that's gone. Any any goodwill that we had with North Korea, I think, is long gone since then. Right. And I, I think to some extent, Trump probably understands Kim. He's, you know, Trump is the kind of guy that tries to, you know, take his negotiating position by making very loud statements and then forcing you into like the debate with him and everything being on his terms. And so I, I think he understands Kim very well. And also, you know, with the Trump presidency and not that this is necessarily a good thing but he's not a guy that feels bound even by his own past statements and red lines where yeah. with the biden administration uh and you know all part of this is the political dynamics of the united states he's a democrat and so anytime he doesn't live up to any absurd red line that any random u.s politician makes he's called weak right so lindsey graham says that he has to bomb tehran and if biden does it lindsey graham's gonna call him a dove which you know is completely ridiculous to think that we're going to bomb Tehran, but this is, you know, kind of the level of political negotiation we often have uh, among our elites in the United States. And so Trump doesn't face as much of those pressures, but we have seen even when he did face pressures to bomb Iran after they shot down American drone uh, near the Iranian border or really to escalate with Kim Jong-un, you know, he is willing to completely reverse track and you just don't see that with the Biden administration. And that's the real concern on, you know, North Korea. Yeah, 100%. Yes. And it's, um again, <laughs> Trump not really having any consistency is not necessarily a good thing. Um, but I think that the Biden administration is just, um, it seems like they're hell-bent on causing as much chaos and destruction as they possibly can. And Lindsey Graham's a psychopath. If Lindsey Graham's calling you a dove, it's okay, because he is one of the worst warmongers I've ever seen on planet Earth. He is awful. The way that he talks about this stuff is, uh, I mean, it's just pure insanity watching him like frothing at the mouth over bombing people. It is just insane. So, all right, we got to take a quick break and get headlines. Hang tight. We're going to be back with Kyle here on TNT. Here we go. TNT Radio News. News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. An Iranian-backed militia in Syria has claimed responsibility for an attack on a base housing U.S. troops in eastern Syria. Australia recently participated in Exercise Keen Edge, a military exercise traditionally exclusive to the United States and Japan, signaling the evolving nature of the AUKUS partnership. Chile is grappling with severe forest fires that erupted two days ago, predominantly impacting the central region. 
Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. All right. We're here joined by Kyle Anslone of the Libertarian Institute and Antiwar.com. Uh, go check both of those places out. I read them every single day. Um, you can go to libertarianinstitute.org or antiwar.com um, and definitely check out Kyle's show, Conflicts of Interest. Um, I also watch that every time he puts an episode out. He does usually like two, three shows a week, um, depending on what's going on. So definitely check that out as well. Okay. Before we dive into Israel, because obviously there is so much to talk about when it comes to Israel. Um, uh, I wanted to get an update on Venezuela because that's something you and I have talked about here. There was um, some potential hope there. It seems like that may have evaporated, though. So you have an article out from January 31st. Diplomatic process between U.S. and Venezuela breaks down. So what happened here, Kyle? Yeah, Misty, a few months ago, I want to say, you know, mid last year, there was a meeting, I believe, in Barbados between American and Venezuelan officials, and they agreed to take certain steps to try to normalize the relationship between the two countries, uh, including the U.S., granting some licenses to start doing some business uh, with the Venezuelan state oil and mining companies. And then also Venezuela was going to start receiving deportation flights from the U.S. And so uh, I, I wonder why Biden had the motivation to relieve the sanctions, you know, was to you know uh, stem the immigration crisis some. But anyways, uh, so they, they took those steps and they were starting to move in the right direction, it seemed. Uh, but then the Venezuelan court barred two candidates uh, from running for president. And look, you know, the the Venezuelans could do what they want there. The U.S. shouldn't decide. But this triggered the U.S. to reimpose the sanctions on Venezuela state gold and mining company and then threatening to repeat that on the oil company come April. And so Venezuela is saying they're going to cut off uh, receiving the deportation flights now. And so it seems like we've lost all diplomatic process here. Yeah, that's unfortunate. There was a tiny glimmer of hope, as you said, some months ago. Um, I don't know. I'm a cynic at heart, so I was not hopeful uh, all that much. I figured that there was going to be some reason that it would all fall apart, and it certainly has. So uh, unfortunate, but uh, uh, good to get an update on that and just keep an eye on where it's going. So, all right, let's shift to Israel. And you have a brand new article out today, which I wanted to start with because um it's fantastic just uh just published just released and it's uh, like some of the most unsurprising news ever but it is interesting that they are saying it out loud cnn staffers say network has systemic and institutional bias toward israel i think anybody who watches cnn is probably very well aware of that but tell us what's going on here kyle yeah, Misty. So the Guardian actually did this report. They got some internal memos and other communications from CNN, as well as spoke with CNN staffers from various newsrooms. And what those staffers told the Guardian and what they were able to confirm from the documents was that CNN had a pretty explicit bias to make sure their all their articles came off as pro-Israel. This, you know, starts at the top with the CEO actually saying that all reporting on the atrocities in Israel should be contextualized to include Hamas's attack on Israel on October 7th as being the catalyst for everything. And so, you know, if you're talking about 11,500 dead babies in Gaza, well, first of all, you know, if you're writing for CNN, it's going to say the Hamas run Gazan health ministry to try to obscure the number of deaths and try to somehow down playing when actually even the U.S. State Department admits that the numbers put out by the Palestinian health ministry in Gaza is a low estimate. 
that this is, you know, the, the people that they know have died when there are thousands of others that we know are trapped under the rubble and who knows how many others, Misty, that are now starving to death and uh, other things because of the consequences of the Israeli blockade and military campaign in Gaza. So this is a, a real, you know, catastrophe what's going on in the American perspective, or at least those who watch CNN only get the perspective that is so pro-Israel. And this is actually causing, I guess, somewhat of a rebellion among the lower level staff members who are starting to get frustrated with the editors. I mean, we'll see if this goes everywhere. But I also mentioned that article, Misty, uh, another article that was written by Julie Holler, I think, uh, in FAIR, which is a really good publication uh, and yeah. online outlet uh, that looks at you know what's going on in the mainstream media and how they're covering certain things. And what she points out is fr from the Post and the Times that you know while maybe they had a few Palestinian voices, uh, you know, write op-eds, overwhelmingly the op-eds that have come out of those outlets have been pro israeli yeah there's no question about it and i think that you can uh i've talked about this a couple different times on the show you can just look at the way that headlines are written and how um you know israelis are killed and gazans just die like they just mysteriously die they never say killed by israeli soldiers killed by the idf they never say very specifically how uh people in gaza are dying and it's just you it's the disparity in the coverage is uh, in my opinion, incredibly apparent. So um, I'm super glad that, you know, there's uh, this, the, the, I mean, I hate to give credit to The Guardian for literally anything, um, but it is good that this kind of stuff is coming out. Hopefully uh, we'll see some more people in mainstream media calling this stuff out. I don't have a great deal of hope for that, but I mean, it's possible. Genocide can inspire people to do uh, some pretty extraordinary things uh, in in response to that. So um, uh, you, you also mentioned too, um, you know, there we know that there uh, are, you know, a certain thousand, tens of thousands of people who are dead there are many people still buried under the rubble. And also, of course, we are now uh, entering into a situation where disease, famine, all of that stuff is starting to really take hold um, and spiral out of control. And uh, the Biden administration has decided in uh, an effort to, I guess, help that along. Uh, we're going to haul aid to the Palestine UN agency as famine takes hold in Gaza. So you have an article from January 28th. Uh, so and this it's not just the United States. Many countries have done this. So tell us what's going on here. Yeah, Misty, I'm actually, at, you know, before we're doing this and, and afterwards, I'm working on an article now, an update on this. And so it's very interesting because we, we've learned a lot of new news here. But on January 18th, Israel presented uh, UNRWA, which is a UN uh, Palestinian aid agency, with uh, allegations that 12 of their members were involved in the October 7th attack. Of course, this is a pretty large agency, Misty, and so a few of their members being involved in the attack really wouldn't indicate a systemic problem. I believe they have 30,000 employees overall, including 12,000 that work in Gaza. And again, so this is a minuscule number. A lot of the employees that I guess so far that I've seen identified have been low level members. And so it's not like the head of any of these organizations or anything uh, like that was involved in this attack. Now, France 24 is reporting just today, Misty, that Israel has only released a summary dossier of the intelligence that they've collected here, and they have not released the full dossier to anyone, including the UN, who just established a investigation inquiry to look into these claims. Even though the UN RAW did go right ahead and terminate anyone who was alleged to have been involved uh, that was still alive, Misty, uh, the, the US and Germany, the top two contributors to UN RAW, pulled their funding from the organization. Uh, and 
pretty much everyone acknowledges that this organization is the only thing keeping from Gaza uh, the situation there for the 2.3 million Palestinians that live there from turning into a, a, you know, right now it's a humanitarian catastrophe, but it will be just the most disgusting thing that, that has happened in a very long time on planet Earth if UNRAW has to cease bringing all aid into Gaza and the people there are just left to starve to death and die of disease and treatable wounds and all these things uh, that are mounting and mounting and mounting in Gaza. Yeah, it's horrific uh, watching these stories come out of Gaza. Now, I mean, obviously we've seen the horrendous videos of the um, the the bombs that have dropped and the, uh, you know, the bodies and all of that stuff. And that's horrific all on its own. But then to also watch this continue in this way uh, and watch, you know, children starving on the street, they're hunting down stray cats and dogs trying to survive. I mean, that's a horrific situation. And I think that it is um, 100% avoidable. And the idea that uh, the United States is going to cease fund, uh, cease aid, um, you know, uh, over these, um, you know, spurious claims. I mean, listen, Israel's known for lying. And so the idea that they've only, you know, given out some information rather than the entire dossier is very troubling to me. And the fact that people are, um, you know, discontinuing their aid based on those allegations uh, with very little evidence to support the claims is disturbing to say the least, but not surprising, unfortunately. So, okay, we got to take another quick break. Hang tight. We're going to be right back here on today's News Talk. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The cyclone that's in the north of Australia is kind of unusual for an El Nino season. That's because we have not really had an El Nino season this year in Australia. The Southern Oscillation Index, the longest running measure of the ENSO, or El Nino, La Nina, has not cooperated at all. And we knew this was a problem way back in the Northern Hemisphere fall in our spring because we weren't seeing a lot of typhoons. Usually when you have a big El Nino, you have a lot of typhoons going off and we had the third lowest typhoon production on record. So something funky was going on. However, that Southern Oscillation Index is going to crash for the month of February, which means that our fall should be average in Australia. Now, I'm bringing all this up because that crash in February is linked to severe cold in the United States and Europe for February into March. And we're seeing another ferocious storm attacking Norway now. A lot of heavy rain is coming into Europe over the next week. Now, the two times that happened, it turned frigid in Europe. Same thing is going to happen. Mid-February to mid-March will be frigid in Europe. You see all these storms crashing into the United States? Well, guess what? It's going to turn frigid in the United States. In fact, for much of the United States, the worst of the winter is on the way. And just think, it all hinges on looking at the weather around Australia. Isn't that nice? Hands across the water. Australia, the States, and Europe. Kumbaya. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Whatever happens to good, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot, and it's become our automatic answer to so much. Hey, how's things? Good. Your mum, your weekend? Good, good. Is good even that good anymore? At the Salvos, we believe good deserves better. Let's reclaim its true meaning. To us, good has always been about making a difference, and good never picks or chooses who it helps. Isn't it time we all remember what good really means? Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
All right. We are here joined by Kyle Anslone from antiwar.com and the libertarianinstitute.org. Please go check them out. Um, okay. So we're talking about Israel Gaza. So um, you have a couple articles that are a little bit older, but I wanted to talk about them briefly because um, some new polling information has come out. And I think that we're starting to see the impact of Israel Gaza really take shape um, on the 2024 election. And uh, so you have an article out from January 21st, Dems call for Biden to rethink unconditional support of Israel. So he's starting to see pressure from inside his own party. And then also over a third of America. Americans say Israel is committing a genocide in Gaza. So I think we're starting to see the pressure mount both from within his own party, as I think you and I have talked about, there's been some uh, instances where um, actual staff members have written letters and they've protested and all of that stuff. We're now starting to see some bigger names like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, who pretends to be independent and is definitely not. He is a Democrat. Um, uh, but we're starting to see that pressure mount. So tell us a little bit about this, because I think that this is significant moving into 2024. Yeah, and Misty, that polling that said a third of Americans believed it was a genocide, including uh, half of young Americans, half of Democrats, or half of people who identified as liberal, half of uh, Biden supporters from 2020, uh, voters from 2020, and Hispanic Americans all said that this was a genocide. And so, you know, that's why I think is one of the hugely important things about the ICJ ruling is just how much ammunition and standing it gives those of us who are calling this a genocide. You know, so often we're called anti-Semitic or all kinds of other smears are made. Oh, there's Pollywood. You know, this is fate by the Palestinians. Oh, the ministry, health ministry is run by Hamas. Well, now the ICJ agrees with us. So it seems a little ridiculous that we're still, you know, pretending that all this isn't happening when, you know, there's a world court ruling that says the genocide is plausible. Uh, so I, I think the genocide Joe protests are only going to get stronger. The administration even hired a staffer to try to tone down the protest. And Misty, in the thing, they said that they identified there was a certain trait uh, that the pro-Palestinian protesters had at one event. And I had assumed that maybe they were wearing you know, free Palestine shirts, a free Palestine pin, something like that. But maybe it was a little bit more broad and it was just women in hijabs because I did see a video of a Biden, I think it was a re-election event, but I think Kamala Harris was going to be there and uh, they were barring a couple women uh, and they were saying, yeah. oh, is it because we're wearing hijabs? And uh, the guy, you know, it wasn't a denial, right? Had I blocked <laughs> two Muslim women from entering a building and had they said, is it because of how we're dressed, I would have issued a far better denial than that. So I said, I, I suspect that that was the real reason uh, that, you know, they were actually barring them from the event, which, of course, for anybody, you know, who is just a white American now is kind of, you know, you should go out and protest one of these Joe Biden events and called him genocide, Joe. Uh, if they're going to just try to keep out the Muslims, then I guess it's on us to uh Yes. To, to do that is it's all you know all kinds of irony now that the biden campaign events have the immigration trump policy installed yeah <laughs> yes i saw that video I actually talked about it on the show last week and that guy uh was very plainly confronted on uh, his denial of their entry they checked in they got their wristbands they went they did the whole thing they uh um they signed up in advance all of that stuff and then they showed up and they were denied entry and they very clearly asked him you know why are you denied and he just i think he literally just said i'm sorry like <laughs> 
That's the best that he had. That was uh, still, uh, it's a funny video. And I think that, you know, voter outreach for the Democratic Party, uh, it's not looking so hot right now. And I think that they're going to really struggle. And especially, obviously, with Michigan. Uh, I mean, there's a a massive uh, Arab population in Michigan. And I think that, you know, that being a very significant swing state, I think Biden's in a really big world of hurt. And as I mentioned, the polling numbers, uh, every time they do polling numbers, they say Biden's approval rating hits new historic low. And that's just because it just continues to plummet. And I think that that's only going to continue as we move forward. So, okay. um, I also want to talk about, um, so uh, Israel has announced uh, that it will attack Gaza border city of Rafah. And I think that this is a significant because obviously they've already destroyed most of the North. Um, I think that it depends on who you talk to, but I think, uh, uh, I think like 70% of um, uh, all of the infrastructure is completely destroyed. Um, And uh, Rafah is obviously in the South. And so now they're just going to move along. And we all knew this was going to happen, right? They bombed the North. They told everybody to flee to the South. They were killing people on the way to uh, the South. They were bombing the South even then. But now they have uh, very clearly announced that they intend to attack Rafa. So uh, tell us what's going on here. Yeah, as you said, Misty, they're attacking Rafa, the last major city in Gaza that hasn't been, you know, majority destroyed by the Israeli bombing campaign. There's a, you know, a second really good article out in the the Guardian from the past couple of weeks that actually does a lot of satellite imagery and uh, looks through all of it and finds, I think, between 50 and 72 percent of all the buildings in Gaza have been damaged or destroyed. Haaretz recently reported that Israeli forces on the ground have orders that once they use a building in Gaza to set it on fire and burn it to the ground. And so a lot of civilian homes and infrastructure is being destroyed this way. And uh, the Guardian report highlights uh, in red. So if you go to the article, there's a map of all the buildings that have been damaged or destroyed. And it's just an overwhelming amount of the strip. But the one area that there isn't, you know, a just red blob that's a city is Rafa. And so now there's between 1.5 million and 1.7 million uh, Palestinians that are sheltering in, in the city. And it, it's really the last area where there's civilian infrastructure existing. And so without Rafa, the, the, you know, the Palestinians will fall into an absolute state of, you know, despair and disease and, uh, you you know, famine. So, so this is really something absolutely horrific and that needs to be stopped. And Missy, this is one of the things, and one of the reasons why I think the genocide label is so important and confronting Joe Biden on the genocide claim is so important because I think we're at a point now that the only thing that could save, you know, the, this war from going all the way in and through Rafa is forcing Joe Biden to pull the plug. And the only way to do that is with political pressure. The U.S. government isn't going to follow the Constitution. They're not going to follow the Leahy laws. They're not going to investigate what Israel is doing in Gaza and conclude it's a genocide. They've made it very clear that they're just not interested in doing it. And so the only thing that we could do is basically everywhere that Joe Biden or any administration official goes, if they're just you know called baby murderers and that they're committing a genocide, and this becomes so prevalent in America that just everybody knows that this is what's going on. that maybe Joe Biden will tell them to knock it off. My only concern, Misty, is that at this point, it it may be too late without a significant influx of aid into Gaza. If you just, you know, end the military campaign now, but don't allow a significant amount of aid and not just, you know, we're talking humanitarian aid in the short term, medical supplies, food and things like that. But, you know, concrete, wheelchairs, all the things that Israel for years and years and years has banned from entering Gaza, if that's not allowed to come in and there's not, you know, going to be significant billions of dollars of reconstruction of 
the strip, then we're still condemning the Palestinians to just a slower genocide than the Israelis are currently trying to commit. Yeah. And you're 100% right about that. And that's the unfortunate reality that, I mean, even if you, even if Joe Biden cut strings right now and he stopped sending money and he stopped sending weapons, um, it would take some time for them to run out of what they currently have. But then, then what? Like, that's the thing. I think that there's all of this conversation about ceasefire, ceasefire, ceasefire. And I think that that's obviously good. We need to have a ceasefire, but then what? Like, we need to have a conversation about what happens after the ceasefire and it needs to be a permanent ceasefire. And then there needs to be an unbelievable amount of aid that is um, uh, just shoved into Gaza um, and uh, they need to be able to rebuild and rebuild for themselves too. Like we need to be completely divorced from that process. We have no business whatsoever being involved in that process at this point. So I don't know that that's ever going to happen, but you're right. The only way uh, to even potentially influence uh, the United States government is mass. I said that the other day, I forget who it was that was confronted. Um, I forget who it was. Somebody was confronted about uh, Israel Palestine and the and and as far as I'm concerned no elected official should be able to leave their house without being heckled without being called baby killers without being called genocide enablers without I mean you don't have to be violent there's no call for violence here but you need to confront them they need to be confronted they are aiding and abetting a genocide in broad daylight on the world stage and that is unacceptable they should be called out everywhere that they go so um also I mean we need to talk about the fact that Israel speaking of aid um uh not only it not only is it nearly impossible to get aid into Gaza and this was not this is not just now as Kyle just said this is something that Israel has been preventing for years like it has been a very long time since any kind of aid or any of that stuff has been able to get into Gaza uh, but now we also have a situation where Israel is destroying aid agencies and so you have an article out from February 1st Israel destroys Belgian aid agency office in Gaza so what happened here yeah, so the this was the Be Belgian aid agency that operates in Gaza, and their office completely destroyed the uh, a ambassador and an official from the Belgian government tweeted pictures before and after of the destruction of this building. And as Trita Parsi and a lot of other really good commentators noted, Misty, that Belgium is one of the few kind of Western countries that has really resisted the pressure to cut off aid to UNRAW since it was... Um, you know, since the Israeli claimed that there were 12 members involved in the Hamas attack. And so, so you have to wonder if this is maybe retaliation for that. And of course, you know, we're not going to see even something like this cause a significant reaction from Washington. Yeah. No, no, not that I don't, I, I don't know what at this point would cause a significant reaction. I mean, um, tens of thousands of children, children have been murdered at this point. Um, and it, it seems as if not only do they not care, but they, um, are just fine with continuing it, with helping it. Um, and it's, uh, there's really just no accountability. I mean, we have like Lindsey Graham, like I mentioned earlier, Annie Blinken keeps making all these trips over there. It's as if, uh, we're supposed to believe like that's going to make some significant difference as if he's going to go over there and convince BB Netanyahu to stop his genocide. That's just not a thing that's going to be happening. So, okay. I also wanted to talk to you too, uh, about something that, um, I covered briefly here on the show when it initially happened. And that was the widespread destruction of cemeteries, which I think is a new low that Israel has stooped to. Uh, there really is no low that they will not go, um, uh, to I think so. Um, but now we have a situation where Israel has failed to produce evidence to justify that widespread destruction of cemeteries in Gaza, which they were trying to uh, pretend. Of course, Hamas is under the cemeteries, uh, but there's no evidence for that. Right, Kyle? 
Right. And Misty, I think this is something that as Americans, we should be kind of sensitive to because, of course, a big part of the genocide that happened to the Native Americans or American Indians was the destruction of their burial grounds and cemeteries to kind of erase any claim that they would have to the land. There's no, you know, historical ties if that, if that's gone. And so I, I think as Americans, we should be very aware of that and be very upset for what the Israelis are doing here. Uh, there was actually a CNN report. So this is amazing, Misty. They bring a CNN journalist to Israel, into Gaza, to show them the destruction of one of these cemeteries and to show them a tunnel and to claim that this is going to be proof of why they had to destroy the cemetery, which it really wouldn't make sense that you had to destroy the cemetery on top of the tunnel to destroy the tunnel underneath. That's not how they're destroying a lot of the tunnels in Gaza. However, CNN did some uh, you know, GPS analysis of where they claimed the tunnel was versus the cemetery, and it showed more than likely the tunnel did not run under the cemetery. It was you know, several meters away from even the edge of the cemetery where that tunnel was. And the the Israeli journalist that was giving the CNN journal, uh, the Israeli general that was giving the CNN journalist the tour refused to show him the alleged, you know, entrance to the <laughs> tunnel under the cemetery. And the and CNN reported it that, you know, that it was inconclusive here. And so Israel has destroyed at least 16 cemeteries in Gaza. They've had various claims from we're looking for the bodies of Israeli hostages, which I'm not sure that Hamas would go ahead and uh, bury them in a mass grave anyways or in a cemetery anyways, just because in the past that Hamas has turned over Israeli bodies uh, in exchange for live, you know, Palestinians to be released from prison. So, uh, you know, it, it seems like it would be a major strategic loss to just bury these bodies in, in graves. And so I, I think it's very unlikely the Israeli excuses that, you know, these sites are being used as tunnels hasn't been proven. And, and so this seems to be a part of the ethnic cleansing campaign. Yeah, no question about it. And it's uh, I I laugh when we talk about it because it is just so ridiculous. The idea that the CNN journalist is there and then he's like, well, can I see the tunnel? And I think that the guy said, no, you might fall in. I think that was his excuse. Like, really? Mm -hmm. uh, it's just so ridiculous. And we've seen instances of that before where uh, Western media has been sort of allowed into Gaza, but it's under very restrictive, um, uh, it, like you can't go to certain places. You can't talk to certain people. Uh, they've very clearly set up situations. I think there was that, like that little cachet of weapons that was in the hospital that was so very obviously planted that it was just embarrassing. But uh, I, this is just another one of those examples where they're it, they're just exposing themselves. And so, I mean, hey, let them cook. Let them do it, I think. Uh, okay, so really quick before we run out of time, I wanted to talk about this briefly because you and I have talked about this many times. Scott Horton and Connor Freeman did a great article exposing uh, Netanyahu's support for Hamas. Um, and so you have an article out from January 23rd. Senator Coons is now admitting that Netanyahu divides Palestinians by weakening the Palestinian Authority and accepting Hamas. So uh, uh, tell us here, we've got an admission from a, a, a U.S. elected representative. Yeah, and this was on one of the Sunday morning talk shows, Missy. So if anybody wants to watch the video, you can see this as a rare case where a politician almost admitted the truth. He said <laughs> that uh, Israel was weakening the Palestinian Authority and, um, and you know he wanted to say strengthening or supporting uh, Hamas, but he ends up saying uh, something else and, and, you know, but basically just saying that Israel allows for Hamas to continue to exist. And so this is, you know, a really important admission, especially when Israel's demand, all these countries cut off the funding for uh, UNRWA over their alleged support for Hamas, when it seems that 
Netanyahu is a far bigger supporter of Hamas than any of these uh, low-level UNREW employees or the great organization point, overall. Kyle. That's a great point. That is a great point because, yeah, uh, Netanyahu is on record numerous times, as you can see for yourself in the article that I mentioned by Scott Horton and Connor Freeman um, over, I think it's at Libertarian. Is it at Libertarian Institute or is it at the anti-war? I'm not sure. Libertarian Both. I'm not sure. Both. Both? Okay, good. Um, go check that article out. There is a whole crap ton of evidence supporting the claim that Benjamin Netanyahu has long been supporting Hamas. Um, According so, yeah, I think from himself. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, like direct quotes from Benjamin Netanyahu and not about mission, not like omissions, like he was like call, like bragging, openly bragging about it. Yes, yes, openly bragging about the fact that that uh, supporting Hamas helps him. Like that is a full admission on his part. Direct quotes from Benjamin Netanyahu. So yeah, I think it's interesting that we have um uh you, you know a lot United States elected representatives now making those admissions as well. So um all right, Kyle, thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate Thank you, you as always. Um everybody, check out Kyle. You can follow him on Twitter at Kyle Anslone. And of course, at libertarianinstitute.org and antiwar.com. I'll be back tomorrow with Benjamin Rubenstein. Uh, as Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now, and don't go anywhere. Timothy Shea's right after this here on today's news talk.